On May 1, 1999, mountain climber Conrad Anker braved the frigid winds on Mount Everest in Tibet. Many mountaineers feel cold to Everest. It's the highest peak on Earth, and to some, it represents the pinnacle of achievement. But not Anker. He and his crew were hoping to solve one of Everest's oldest mysteries. Anker's search focused on the crumbling slope on the mountain's north face. As he scaled the craggy rock, a bright white patch caught his eye. He realized the chalky surface wasn't snow at all. It was a patch of frozen, exposed skin. Anchor had stumbled upon the body of a fellow explorer who died on the mountain. The climber was face down, his head buried in the rocks. Although his clothes were worn away to threads, they were still recognizable as hobnailed boots and a fur-lined helmet, gear that hadn't been used in over 60 years. His skin was milk-white after decades of freezing temperatures. He looked like a mannequin discarded on the mountain slope. Anker and his team had found the missing climber they were looking for, a corpse that could finally offer a definitive answer to a 75-year-old riddle. Who got to the top of Everest's first? Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. This season on Unexplained Mysteries, we'll be investigating the most mysterious, doomed expeditions in history. We'll look at why humans explore and why they fail. Today, we're examining George Mallory's ill-fated 1924 expedition up the world's tallest mountain. Officially, he never completed the summit, and nobody else did for nearly 30 more years. But perhaps... Mallory was more successful than the records suggest. The question of who summited Everest first has larger implications outside the climbing community. And Mallory's drive to defy death on his climb might say something deeper about human psychology. So we're asking, why do people risk their lives to explore? And are their deaths worth it? We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip-off. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your afternoon playlist, State Farm knows you personalize your entire day. And that's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with the State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. 
New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the dim. It go down. It go down in the dim. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Fortune favors the brave. This mantra encourages risk-taking. It suggests if you boldly go where no one has gone before you'll be handsomely rewarded. Variations on the phrase have appeared throughout history, including one instance in the first century AD. A Roman army commander named Pliny the Elder said the famous proverb as he set sail toward Mount Vesuvius. Unfortunately, Vesuvius was in the midst of an eruption. Pliny arrived at the plume of fiery rock and ash and promptly died. So perhaps fortune doesn't always favor the brave, but humanity still dares to explore the depths of the oceans and the upper reaches of the atmosphere, plus everything that lies in between. It's as though we have an inner drive to challenge ourselves, even if we don't understand why. At the turn of the 20th century, most of the globe had been mapped and the best trade routes had been established. But many governments sponsored expeditions as showcases of national strength. Voyages to far-off lands weren't just opportunities for people to prove themselves. They were opportunities for entire countries to show bravery and superiority. And one unexplored region seemed like the perfect forum where explorers could prove themselves, the Earth's highest peak. 29,032 feet above sea level, Everest is in the Himalayan mountain range right on the border between Tibet and Nepal. At its peak, temperatures can reach negative 76 degrees Fahrenheit, that's negative 60 degrees Celsius, and frostbite can freeze exposed skin in a matter of minutes. It's even difficult to breathe at that altitude. The highest point with enough oxygen for people to survive is called the vertical limit, and Everest's peak is 10,000 feet above it. These harsh conditions cause physical and mental deterioration, including rapid weight loss and hallucinations. Just getting near the summit requires an incredible amount of passion, training, and teamwork. And in the early 1900s, Mountaineers didn't have the high-tech climbing gear or waterproof clothing they do today. To ascend Everest, you didn't just need to be in top physical condition. You had to be prepared to die. But that didn't stop England's Royal Geographical Society, a professional organization for geographers, from assembling a team of climbers to scale the tallest peak on the planet. And they made an odd selection a mountaineer named George Mallory. He was infamous for his forgetfulness. Once, while scaling the Alps, he slipped off a cliff's edge and fell 40 feet before his friend caught his rope and saved his life. He'd forgotten to tie himself to the rock. A crewmate said he had heart but was, quote, quite unfit to be in charge of anything, including himself. 
Still, he was a competent climber with a good eye for route spotting. And what he lacked in common sense, he made up for in charm. At one point, a New York Times reporter asked why he risked his life to explore Everest. Mallory replied, quote, because it's there. He was a dreamer and the perfect face of England's Royal Geographical Society. So in April 1921, Mallory joined a team of seven climbers and army officers, and they all set off for the summit. But they weren't well prepared. They were underdressed for the extreme weather and used thin ropes that could easily break. When George Bernard Shaw saw a photo of the crew, he said they looked like surprised picnickers caught in a snowstorm. Unsurprisingly, they didn't make it very far up the mountain. But Mallory was able to map out the route he wanted to take to the summit on the next trip. The following spring, they tried again. But this time, the expedition didn't just end in disappointment. It was a disaster. As the group climbed, an avalanche swept over them without warning. Seven Sherpas were crushed to death by the icy snow. But Mallory made it out alive. You might think he'd take this second defeat as a sign to quit. But instead, he wrote to a friend, It's an infernal mountain, cold and treacherous, but how can I be out of the hunt? When the Royal Geographical Society called Mallory back to Everest for a third time, he signed on again. Despite all the failures, or perhaps because of them, Mallory couldn't deny his dream of standing on the top of the world. It was like something deep inside was pushing him to do something no other person ever had before. And this may be a uniquely human trait. Many animals will leave their nests or burrows when they need more food or shelter. But humans are the only mammal that pushes into new territory, even when our needs are covered. It's how we grow. When you feel a so-called thirst for knowledge, your body actually responds like you're physically thirsty. And when you finally understand a new concept, the neurotransmitter dopamine floods the brain. It feels good, increasing the chances you'll want to learn even more. Perhaps it was this joy of learning that made George Mallory want to climb, even though his third trip to Everest was more dangerous than ever. And the biggest threat came from his climbing companions. By this point, the Royal Geographical Society realized they needed fresh talent. So they brought on a young athlete from Oxford named Andrew Irvine. He was 21 years old, tall and broad-shouldered, the very definition of fitness. However, he had almost zero climbing experience. He'd never been higher than 5,500 feet, which was about the tallest point in Nebraska. Still, Mallory and Irvine hit it off. They likely bonded over their shared love of danger and their excitement about potentially reaching the summit. Mallory wrote to his wife, It is almost unthinkable with this plan that I shan't get to the top. I can't see myself coming down defeated. And his statement was true, in a way. He didn't come down defeated because he never made it off the mountain alive. 
Coming up, Mallory's final ascent. Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa. On behalf of Parcast, I'd like to thank you for your continued support. Your loyalty has allowed us to keep expanding even beyond podcasts. That's why I'm so thrilled to share some special news with you all, something we've never done before and made possible only because of you. On July 12th, we're releasing our first book titled Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. And you can pre-order it today at parcast.com cults. Those of you who've been with Parcast since the beginning know that it's a labor of love for us to bring you these powerful stories. As long as you keep listening, we keep creating. So with the benefit of years of research and insights, we've put together a comprehensive narrative that tries to make sense of mysterious groups such as Nexium, Heaven's Gate, the Manson family, and more, exposing how shared beliefs can have deadly results and taking you deeper into the dark side of human nature than ever before. You won't want to miss this book. Visit parcast.com slash cults to pre-order your copy of Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. That's parcast.com slash cults. Thank you again for listening. We can't wait for you to dive in. Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like if casual and cool had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. Now, back to the story. In April 1924, mountaineer George Mallory and his team set off toward India. Once there, it took two months to hike to Tibet, then another month to establish a camp at the base of the highest mountain in the world, Mount Everest. No human had ever reached the top, It seemed like an impossible task, but England's Royal Geographical Society hoped Mallory and company would be the first. After all, they were a vibrant, motley crew. Several had already attempted to crest Everest. They knew they could fail again and even die in the process, but the promise of adventure was worth it. Many of us don't have an insatiable urge to go to the gym, much less conquer the universe. But it's possible some humans, including Mallory, evolved to be curious. Our nomadic ancestors survived harsh, changing conditions by gathering information. When they reproduced, evolution ensured future generations inherited the valuable trait of curiosity. In fact, scientists have found a mutation that might actually correspond to a person's yearning to explore. It's called the wanderlust gene, and it's thought to be carried by roughly 20% of all humans. This genetic variant, 7R, alters dopamine in the brain and makes people more likely to take risks. They seek new places, foods, relationships, drugs, and sexual opportunities. For them, new and unpredictable experiences are enjoyable. 
This may be why some people prefer to settle down in their hometown, while others seem to move between cities every few years. In fact, in 1999, scientists found the 7R gene was more common in nomadic cultures than in settled ones. Researchers also looked into 7R's effects on the Areal people, a group of some 10,000 nomads in Kenya. In the early 2010s, a subgroup split off from the main sect and settled down in a single location. An anthropologist from the University of Washington tested both groups. He found the nomads with 7R tended to be better fed and stronger than their peers. But the 7R carriers who'd settled in one place tended to be less healthy. It made some scientists rethink restlessness and its link to attention deficit disorders. Rather than view ADHD as a pathology needing treatment, perhaps people with short attention spans are just better suited for a life of novelty and adventure, just like those who carry the 7R variant. Each of us has a different capacity for risk-taking, and Mallory might have been bored by his domestic life. He may have felt better tackling frostbite on a far-off mountain rather than sitting at home sipping tea with his wife Ruth. He braved the mountain without her, but he did promise to leave her picture at Everest Summit. By early June 1924, Mallory and the other British climbers were on the slopes. Working in pairs, they'd already made two harrowing attempts to reach the peak, but none had gone well. At one point, Surgeon Howard Somerville felt his throat closing. He feared he was suffocating in the mountain's thin atmosphere. But the air wasn't the issue. Somerville was being choked by his own throat lining, which had become badly frostbitten in the freezing cold. He pressed down on his chest and coughed up a bloody piece of his own larynx. As horrifying as that is, the team had bigger issues than just the cold. The crew was also fighting against time. Storm clouds were visible on the horizon, and many of Mallory's teammates were ready to turn back. But Mallory told them he wanted to make a final push to the summit. To move quickly, he would only take one other man. And his choice of partner surprised everyone. It was the inexperienced college student, Andrew Irvine. Although Irvine and Mallory were close, the selection was baffling. Beyond his lack of skill, Irvine was also suffering from stomach issues, and his face was badly sunburned. But Mallory had his reasons. He knew Irvine had a talent with oxygen tanks. On high-altitude peaks like Everest, some climbers strapped them to their backs and huffed in air through a gas mask, similar to how modern scuba gear works. Irvine was an engineering assistant and had started tinkering with the oxygen apparatus as soon as he was invited on the trip. By the time they reached base camp, he'd redesigned it four times, making it lighter and less fragile. Mallory hadn't used oxygen tanks during his first two attempts to climb Everest, but this time was different. Frustrated and out of time, Mallory knew if they wanted a fighting chance at the summit, they needed to use the tanks. So on June 6th, Mallory and Irvine packed up their gear. This included Irvine's three-and-a-half-foot-long ice axe with dark speckled wood 
and three parallel notches carved into the handle. He and Mallory set out for the peak, confident they had everything they needed. But they were wrong. Mallory forgot his compass, flashlight, and camera. Luckily, as they made their way up, they crossed paths with Somerville, the surgeon who'd coughed up his own throat lining. Mallory asked if he could borrow his pocket-sized Kodak camera. Somerville handed it over. He'd never see it again. A couple days later, on June 8th, their teammate, geologist Noel O'Dell, was scouring the mountainside, searching for fossils. At about 12.50 p.m., the clouds parted and Everest's peak emerged in its full glory. Odell raised his head at a crucial moment and saw two tiny black silhouettes against the white snow. They moved in tandem, inching toward the peak. He knew it was Mallory and Irvine. They were the only living creatures that high up the mountain. Moments later, the clouds closed in and Mallory and Irvine vanished from view. But Odell had seen enough to estimate their speed and trajectory. He estimated it would only take them three more hours to reach the top. It was a straightforward march with no major obstacles between the pair and the summit. At least, not in ideal weather conditions. But later that day, a fierce snow squall broke out. Worried Mallory and Irvine wouldn't be able to see their way back through the thick snow, Odell scrambled up the north face. He yelled and even yodeled, hoping to guide them back with his voice. But after several hours, the only reply he received was silence. He set up camp for the night, but the next day there was still no sign of Mallory or Irvine. By this point, it seemed the pair must have either frozen, asphyxiated, or fallen to their deaths. No matter how it had happened, Odell knew they were gone. It took eight days for the nearest telegraph station to broadcast the news. Mallory and Irvine were lost and presumed dead. When the Royal Geographical Society received the telegram, they were heartbroken. Mallory's wife, Ruth, received the message after she'd already put their kids to bed. Instead of waking them, she gave them one last peaceful night. In the morning, she called the children onto her bed and hugged them. She told them their dad was not coming home. He'd been lost on Mount Everest. For nearly three decades afterward, the world forgot about Mallory and Irvine. There were no clues as to their fate and nothing to keep them in the spotlight. That is, until 1953, when Everest once again captured the world's imagination. The news flooded the airwaves. Sir Edmund Hillary and Sherpa Tenzing Norgay had done the impossible. They'd reached the summit of Everest. Their success inspired hundreds of other climbers for decades to come. Time magazine even named Hillary and Norgay two of the most influential people of the 20th century. But all the excitement was based on an assumption that they were the first to reach the peak. However, what if Hillary and Norgay were merely the first to survive? 
Mallory and Irvine were last seen moving toward the summit, just three hours away from success. It's very possible they reached the top of Everest before they disappeared. There was only one way to know for sure. Someone had to search the mountain's peaks, find the proof, and then make it back alive. Coming up, searchers risk their lives to solve the mystery. Now, back to the story. George Mallory and Andrew Irvine disappeared in 1924, just a few hours from Everest's peak. Decades later, two other climbers were declared the first to summit Earth's highest mountain. But Mallory and Irvine may have beaten them. No one knows what exactly happened after their teammate, Noel O'Dell, spotted them. There were only a few possible ways to prove they made it to the peak. The best evidence would be photographic. As you recall, Mallory borrowed a Kodak camera to take to the top. If he made it to the peak, it's safe to assume he and Irvine would have snapped a picture. The film, still undeveloped inside the camera, would reveal all the answers. At least, so long as someone could locate it on Mallory's still-missing body. In 1933, nine years after they disappeared, the first clue about Mallory and Irvine's whereabouts emerged. A British expedition discovered an ice axe on the northeast ridge, not far from the peak. While it wasn't unusual to find debris in such a desolate place, this piece was special. There were three parallel notches on the handle. The axe was Irvine's, but his body was nowhere to be found, and it wasn't clear how the tool got separated from him. In 1979, Chinese climber Wang Hongbao told another mountaineer he'd discovered a corpse while ascending the North Face. Based on the outfit, he knew the deceased was English, and when he touched them, the clothes crumbled, meaning they were likely very old. Most importantly, he said the body wasn't far from where the ice axe was found. It seemed Wang was going to solve the mystery of Irvine's fate. But the very next day, before he could tell anyone where to locate the remains, he was swept away by an avalanche. Nobody came any closer to finding Irvine or Mallory until 1998, when a 27-year-old German student named Jochen Hemleb resolved to climb the summit. Prior to that point, he'd been obsessed with Everest history. His apartment was covered with maps, photos, and books about the mountain. Above all, he was plagued by the mystery of Mallory and Irvine. And for him, the solution may have been tied to his personal legacy. Unlike other animals, human beings know we're going to die. Every day, we have to cope with the knowledge that we're all doomed. And perhaps the sting of mortality hurts a little less if you know you're leaving something meaningful behind. Whether that means raising a happy family, breaking a world record, or creating breathtaking art, it's likely Hemleb was driven by the spiritual need to be part of something greater than himself. He may have wanted to go down in history as the person who unlocked the mountain's secrets. 
He and another Everest buff spent several months pitching a documentary film about the fateful climb. They claimed it could change history. Eventually, the BBC and PBS signed on, and the Mallory and Irvine Research Expedition was born. In April 1999, their ragtag team scaled Everest's north face, searching for the deceased mountaineers. By May 1st, a member of the expedition named Conrad Anker made his way along Everest's north face. Within minutes of starting his search, he found a dead body. And shortly after that, another. This wasn't unexpected, as more than 200 climbers have died on Everest over the years. And based on their modern clothing, Anker knew these bodies were recent. They couldn't be Mallory or Irvine. But a few minutes later, he found a corpse face down in the gravel. It was right below a crumbling limestone cliff called the Yellow Band, not far from where Irvine's axe was found in 1933. Due to the cold temperatures, the clothing was remarkably preserved, including the hobnailed boots. This kind of footwear fell out of fashion in the mid-20th century, so Anker's team knew this climber must be from before then. The team was almost certain they'd found Andrew Irvine. However, when they searched the clothing, they found a laundry label with Mallory's name on it. They searched Mallory's pockets for clues, hoping to find the Kodak camera and its potential photographic evidence. Unfortunately, it wasn't on him or anywhere near his body. However, the Mountaineers did discover other important hints about what had happened. Mallory was tangled up in a white rope which was snapped at one end. This suggested the two climbers were likely tied together. If one fell, he would have dragged the other down with him. Also, Mallory's right leg was broken right above his boot. The fracture was small, so the drop must have been short. His fateful slip might have happened a little above the yellow band. He had a stack of letters in his pockets, too, and tucked into his vest a pair of sun goggles. Since they were found in Mallory's vest pocket and not on his face, the team deduced the fall must have occurred at night, possibly on his way back from reaching the peak. But they didn't find the photo of Mallory's wife, Ruth. Remember, he promised to leave her picture on the peak. So if it wasn't in his pockets, there was only one other place it could be, on the summit. However, nobody has ever found Ruth's photo. This could mean they didn't make it to the peak after all. Or maybe decades of snowfall and whipping winds buried it or blew it away. Without any hard evidence of Mallory's triumph, Hemleb and his team tried to analyze the evidence they had, including the letters in Mallory's pocket. Though they contained some interesting notes, Hemleb was most interested in a strange list of numbers on the envelopes. These were a list of numbered oxygen tanks. There were five in total. Many had assumed Mallory and Irvine attempted the summit with only two cylinders of oxygen each. Skeptics thought there was no way for them to reach the top. There simply wasn't enough air to make it up and back. 
However, the list of oxygen containers, plus an inventory found on other crumpled paper, showed the climbers had more than was originally believed. They certainly could have reached the peak. Which had the potential to rewrite everything people thought they knew about what happened that day. Based on Odell's sighting, Mallory and Irvine could have reached the summit by 5 p.m., Then, they would have tried to descend as quickly as possible before the sun set. They would have made it down past the upper steps of Everest, but darkness would have hit them once they got to the yellow band. In the dark, even one wrong step could have led to a fall, but we don't know enough to say how the misstep happened, or whether this scenario is even true. Irvine's body has never been found nor has the all-important Kodak camera. Without these two crucial pieces of the puzzle, we can't confirm whether Mallory truly made it to the top. However, based on the evidence, we do have an idea about what might have happened during Mallory's heartbreaking final moments. It's late afternoon on June 8th. Mallory and Irvine are higher on the planet than anyone has ever been before. Even if they didn't reach the peak, they've accomplished something, and they're likely ecstatic. They make their way down, and soon it's nearly pitch black. Mallory puts his sun goggles in his vest pocket, alongside his notes. Suddenly, one of the mountaineers loses his footing. Since they're tied together, they both tumble. The line whips them both down the cliff, and Mallory slams into the limestone. The rope snaps. Mallory falls over the edge of the yellow band and lands on one foot, shattering the bone above his right ankle. He digs his fingers into the frozen gravel, but the slope is too steep. It tears the gloves right from his hands before he comes to a final, merciful stop. Slowly, face down in the snow, he loses consciousness. And like so many others who've tried to conquer Mount Everest... He dies. But even though he met a tragic fate, George Mallory was a folk hero to climbers and explorers everywhere. His exuberance, skill, and daring made him someone to look up to. Sadly, outside the mountaineering community, his story was mostly lost to history. Few even know who he is. Even his New York Times quote, because it's there, is often misattributed to Edmund Hillary. After all, Hillary survived. His expedition was successful. But doomed explorers like Mallory were a lot like the cathedral builders of the medieval age. They spent their lives working towards something, but died before they were able to see the result. Though they weren't technically successful, They found meaning, and they left a legacy. For our ancestors, exploration ensured their survival. Today, it mostly serves to ensure our humanity. It captures our hearts and minds and helps our species flourish, even if a few lose their lives in the process. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. 
Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Instead, go out and explore. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Ben Caro, with writing assistance by Andrew Messer and Angela Jorgensen. Fact-checking by Anya Bayerly, and research by Bradley Klein. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa. Exciting news. ParCast's first book, Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them, is now available for pre-order at ParCast.com cults. Thanks to your support, we've compiled years of research, insights, and a catalog of case studies to expose more about these cults and the people behind them than ever before. Details which haven't even been explored in our Cults podcast. Visit parcast.com cults to pre-order your copy of Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them.